Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, thanks so much for gathering here this morning and for bringing the church into a YMCA gymnasium, week two of it being yet another, a chilly YMCA gymnasium. So good to have you guys here. And for those of you that are gathering online with us, thank you for bringing the church into your living room, uh, your dining room table. Uh, thanks for inviting us into those uh, spaces. And uh, it's just my joy to be one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. And if, again, if you're somebody that's new to Crosspoint, look forward to connecting with you after the, the service. And uh, before we get into uh, the sermon series this morning, into this message, just want to call your attention to one additional announcement. So next Sunday, January the 24th, we have a vision night, all right? It's going to be happening more like a vision afternoon, 4.30 to 6 p.m., all right? Now, location stuff, we're still figuring some of that stuff out. It's the nature of this whole COVID world a bit, but uh, we will let you guys know that in the days ahead, but plan on 4.30 to 6 p.m. If you're somebody that calls Crosspoint home, we would strongly encourage you to be there. We've got some exciting things to lay before you to invite you to be praying about and just exciting things about the, the plans for the upcoming ministry year. And if you're not comfortable yet joining in person, uh, we'll be making the attempts as well to live stream uh, that so you'll be able to tune in that, that way. Um, for families, um, there, it'll be a family-style service, so you can bring your, your kids, all right? Uh, it'll be a family-style meeting, uh, but there won't be any childcare that's provided. But 4.30 to 6 uh, next week, so remember that and look for more information that'll be coming in the days ahead. All right. Experience belonging. Part of our mission as a church is pointing our, our mission statement is pointing our community to Jesus so that people would know God, that they would find freedom, that they would experience belonging, and then they'd be about this work of seeking renewal, that God has called us not simply to gather as the church, but to be a sent community out on mission. And in order to do this, one of the key components is we have to see not only do we belong to God in this vertical relationship, but because that is true, he has made it possible then for us to belong, to connect to each other. And we feel that, don't we? I mean, 2020 showcased for us, amongst many things, is our need to be connected. And pre-pandemic, there was a lot of isolation, there was a lot of disconnection just in society at large, and it was just amplified over this past year. And we still feel that. And so we thought as a church, one of these we're praying through just as church staff and leadership is, what can we focus on as we start out the year? And so just had this sense that the Lord was calling us to press into this. What does it mean to be the church, specifically looking at all the different spaces in the scriptures where it says we're called to one another? And so last week I just introduced out of Romans chapter 12, like we are members of one another. Like the idea that you're a Christian and you and Jesus are cool, but it's just the two of you just kind of hanging out independent of everybody else. The Bible knows nothing of that. Like there's this call to be connected to one another. The church with all of its failings and imperfections and all the things that are messed up. And if you're like, oh, I love the church. It's probably, you should love the church. But if you think it's perfect, it's because you haven't been around it for more than five minutes yet, right? Like there's a lot of imperfection, but we're still called to press in. And so we wanna explore this idea of what does it look like to experience belonging by looking at some of the one another statements that we see. Now, one of my favorite authors is a guy named James K.A. Smith, who also goes by Jamie Smith, and it's not just because him and I share the same name that I like him, but I would commend his work to you. And in one of his most recent books, it's called On the Road with St. Augustine. There's this wonderful chapter specifically on friendship. And I think it's a topic that doesn't often get pressed into enough. And I think if we're honest, it's not just out there in the culture, like in the church, 
I'm not so sure we know what it means to actually be friends anymore. Like, what does it actually take? Because it's hard and scheduled. We get busy and we just get distracted. And so what does it look like to pursue friendship? And in this particular chapter, he talks about an experiment. This experiment's been done. It's a sociological experiment that's been done numerous times. And here's how it goes. Is a group will gather and it's a group of friends and somebody will just bring out a ball. It's just a tennis ball and you just picture being out in the field, right? And they're just throwing the ball around and just making sure it's kind of see how long it can stay in the air without dropping. And people are, you know, making jokes. There's just this frivolity that's happening. And this whole group is in on it. And the reality is there's one person who unbeknownst to them doesn't realize that everyone else is planning on not throwing them the ball, okay? Some of you are just like, oh no, this is middle school flashbacks, right? So this group gathers, so you can picture this. They'll, they've done this experiment numerous times and as the ball is tossed, imagine being that person. I went to the person next to you or it went to this person over here and maybe you're like, maybe I'm too far out of the circle so you kind of move in a little bit hoping maybe somebody will pay attention, somebody might toss you the ball. And as the experiment goes, because everybody's in on it, they never throw it to that person. And Jamie Smith commenting on this says, here's the reality. Here's what researchers then find as they interview that person to talk through this traumatic ball exclusion experiment that they've just been part of. It says this, the, uh, the researchers discovered that ostracized person will testify to an increased sense that life is meaningless and devoid of purpose. And the game is just a way to pull back the curtain on a fundamental human need. Now, maybe you're like, man, that seems a little extreme. Like, I've lost all purpose and meaning. But it doesn't take long, does it? If you feel disconnected from somebody, we, we lose our bearings. Like, we don't, some of us kind of like lose our, our legs a bit. We're just like, I don't know if I have any balance. Like, where am I? How do I, how do I even interact with people? There's this hugely important aspect that God has created us to be in community, to belong to one another. And so commenting on this, James Smith says this. He says, now imagine this isn't an experiment, but the shape of a life. Instead of waiting for a ball to come your way in a silly game of catch, you're waiting for anyone to call or drop by or speak your name. You can't even express it but you're hungering for some sign that you are known. But no one calls, no one asks how you're doing, no one listens to your thoughts about the morning news. You are alone. Except there are hundreds of thousands of you. You're not alone in being lonely, but not that that makes you any less lonely. Well, I'll just pray and close it down right now, right? Like, it's like, what in the world? But I think it's true. There's this longing for us. We want to be known. Does somebody see me? And what would it look like for the church to step into this space that we're called to, to see people, to call out the, the, the redemptive potential that they have through the gospel, to see God bring transformation? I love the way author and psychologist Kurt Thompson says it, just a great summation of just how we are wired. He says this, we all are born into the world looking for someone, looking for for us. Isn't that true? Like we are looking for somebody who's looking for us. Do you see me? Will I be known? And if you know me, will you actually still love me? Like there's this fundamental human need and then this insecurity and the opportunity. 2020 was brutal. 
But one of the things it exposed is the need for community and the church's opportunity to step into that space. Now the challenge is gonna be, we tend to feel isolated ourselves and we can sit back and be like, who's gonna come reach out to me? But the calling of the scriptures is, how do we press in and begin to reach out as God has reached out to us? And so, as I said, we're looking at these one another statements and the one another statement over and over again in the Bible is to love God and then to love your neighbor, to love one another. And so throughout the next couple of weeks as we explore this topic together, just keep this in mind. So John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. First John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Just a few verses later, 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so that's our calling. Now, as I said, we're gonna look at these one another statements, and there's more than just love one another. And so a helpful way to kind of approach this, and just so you know where we're going today and then in the next two weeks, is as you look out over the Bible, if you begin to write down anytime you see a one another or each other sort of statement, one of the ways that you can group them would be this, that the big idea, the big overarching theme or the umbrella is to love one another. Well, how do we do that? What does that look like? And sort of these three themes of edification, of devotion or like servanthood towards one another, and then this unification or this unity that we're to pursue, which includes things like forgiving one another. And so that's what we're gonna look at together, all right? So this morning, we're gonna look at this idea of edification. Following week, we'll look at devotion and we'll round it out. We're looking at the call to unity. So what I wanna encourage you to do is right now, if you brought a Bible, go to 2 Timothy chapter one. We're gonna look at verses two through 10 here in just a moment. It's gonna take me a couple minutes to get there because we gotta look at a couple other things. If you didn't bring a Bible, my encouragement to you, as always, go, you can get your phone out, you can go to cpwp.life. If you swipe over, the second card says message notes. The text will be in. Anything that's up on the slides this morning will be there. There's space for you to take notes. You can email it to yourself afterwards. Just a good way to follow along. So like I said, we're gonna get to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 2 to 10 in just a moment. But the first thing we've gotta look at is where does the scriptures call us to this edification? What is the call to edification? Call to encouragement. There's a lot of different words that could be spoken of here. It's the idea that we would speak truth to one another to build up. And so throughout the scriptures, I'll just read to you a few of them. We get things like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. So Paul's trying to encourage this particular church. Keep pressing on, all right? Hebrews chapter 5 speaks of this, all right? It says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Like there's a tendency for sin to just get a hold and we get deceived and we need to remember like who we are in Christ. We need to remember the gospel. We need to remember the good news. And it's not just every once in a while. The writer of Hebrews knows, exhort one another, encourage, edify, speak the truth every day because we are prone to forget it. 
It's why we often speak of this idea of preaching the gospel to yourself and then inviting other people to preach the gospel. It doesn't mean you gotta be on a stage with a microphone and all of that, all right? But we need to proclaim the truth of the gospel to one another. Colossians speaks of this, Colossians chapter three, verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So sometimes the way that we're gonna edify or we're gonna encourage is gonna be speaking some truth that might sting a little bit to admonish one another. That is part of it, in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Now, no one wants me going up to them and, and singing these particular psalms and songs to them, but you get the idea. Like, it, how do we encourage one another? One last one. Hebrews chapter 10, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, and we're gonna look at that more last week, or next week. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so even in this, there's a context about the church coming together, and even that has looked different, obviously, right? So part of our church is here in this room right now, and part of the church right now is gathered online. But the calling is still the same, to not neglect to gather. And then when we are gathered, whether it be in a larger group or in a smaller group, to steward those moments, those opportunities to encourage one another. So don't give up on meeting. We gotta be creative in how we're going to meet. It has looked different over the past few months. It'll probably continue to look different. But while we're together, whether in person or digitally or whatever that looks like, figuring out ways to encourage one another. And so the idea with edifying, all right, it simply is a word that means to build up, all right? You picture it like a house being constructed. That's the language here. Now, I know very little about construction, all right? What I do know is a few times when I've had to do uh, work on a house or maybe on a mission trip and we're doing something, you can give me the sledgehammer and I can do destruction, maybe okay, all right? A little deconstruction, I can get that. That doesn't take a whole lot of skill, but it's the construction side of it that there's gotta be an intentionality. There's an approach, there's a carefulness to it because this thing needs to be built up and it is important and that it matters. And so our calling as the church is to use our words to speak, right? To speak truth, to remind people of who they are, not to puff them up with an ego because there's a lot of things out in the culture that would say, yes, speak your truth, all right? And you do you and you figure it out and you just encourage people to go be their best selves. Well, it's nonsense. The calling is we need to hear from the scriptures what the Bible says about us, about our condition apart from Christ, how he's made it possible for us to be united to our father, part of the family, belonging as sons and daughters. Like that's what we need to hear. And so with this idea of edification, the scriptures over and over again speak of this, this idea of building up. I'll share with you just a couple of these, all right? One is in 1 Peter. He writes these words, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, here's the word. This is spoken to us, not as isolated individuals, but to us as the church. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It goes back to what we looked at in Romans chapter 12 last week. By the mercies of God, present your bodies, present your whole life as a living sacrifice. Because in doing so, God is building something. And part of the way he's building up his church is by us edifying one another. 
Ephesians chapter two, the apostle Paul writes these words. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's speaking to our identity in Christ, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. Think about that for a moment. You belong to the family of God. Even on the days where other people reject you, maybe you don't feel welcomed, or this person didn't see this need, or they didn't reach out the way that you wanted them to, just know this, the God of the universe sees you, he cares for you, he loves you, he pursues you, you're part of the household. And in that, part of the way we experience that is through the church being the church so that it can be built up. So he says, you're the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So this is not on you or me to hold this thing all together because it would have came tumbling down within minutes. But Jesus is that cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. First Peter, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Time and time again, we find this call to build up because God is doing something. Jesus said that he would build his church. And part of the way that that is happening is he's chosen to work through you. I mean, he could have done it on his own. He would have done a better job just on his own, but he has chosen, right? Like I'm gonna work through broken, sinful people so that he would get all the glory. Like, so when this thing is built up and it's like, wow, look at that. We bear witness to the reality of Jesus and those moments of glory, we don't get the glory. Jesus gets it as he deserves. Now, if this is true about this being built up and there were this family in this household, and I believe it is, we also then, I think it would be helpful to us to hear a rebuke from an Old Testament prophet by the name of Haggai. And in this particular Old Testament account, the temple of God, the house of God lies in ruins. People of God had been exiled, they'd been, their land had been destroyed, they, all sorts of death and devastation, and yet some now have been brought back and they're supposed to be about the work of building the temple. Now hear his words of rebuke to the people. Not his words, but God's words spoken through the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. We'll get to it eventually. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, well, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Now, God is not knocking our housing projects, all right? If you put some shiplap up in your house, he doesn't, he's not condemning you, all right, for like your paneled house or whatever that looks like. But the calling here is for us to consider, all right, what we understand now, it's not about this temple in this building, it's the church being constructed as that. And so are you devoted to that building project or are you more devoted to just your kingdom and your life? Am I devoted to my kingdom, my physical house, the, the things that I possess? Is that what I'm trying to build? Or am I seeking to build up this body? 
If you are here this morning as a follower of Jesus, you are called to be connected to a church. I would love to have you connected to this church, but you are called to be connected to Jesus' church, whether here or anywhere else. You need to be connected to a gospel-believing, gospel-proclaiming church, and then your call is to build up. And I think for too long, it has been true of the American church to look and say, oh yeah, we'll give some lip service to it. We'll maybe gather on Sunday. We'll maybe make a financial contribution every now and again. But truth be told, I don't view myself as belonging to these people. And maybe you've been hurt. Maybe there's real pain and things to work through. I get that. But the calling, Jesus has not given up on his church. And the calling is to press in. And so would the words of the prophet in the Old Testament be spoken of us in this way, like while this house lies in ruins, we are praying that God would do a work of renewal. And it's gonna start with repentance and it's gonna start with the Lord taking a small remnant of people and leading us into renewal so that this home gets built. And at the end of the day, we can't take any credit for it. So that's the call, the call to edification. Part of the way this happens is we build one another up in the gospel. Okay, I told you, 2 Timothy, all right? So let's look at this for just a moment here. Go to 2 Timothy chapter one. The context of this is the apostle Paul has been investing in this young leader, this young man named Timothy. It's this mentorship relationship that he has. And when we say conduit, simply it's this channel. Like a conduit could be like a channel with which water or some other liquid flows. And what we're gonna see here is that God has chosen to use this man, Paul, to be a conduit of God's grace. He is, he is not the grace, it is the, it's the grace of the Lord Jesus, but he's this conduit by which it flows to this man named Timothy. And what I see in here, for, there's more we could get into in these particular verses, but I just wanna showcase, I think it's one of the best examples of what it looks like to edify, what it looks like to speak the truth, the gospel, to another person so they might be built up, so they might be encouraged, so they might play their part for the kingdom of God faithfully, by God's grace, fruitfully. And so 2 Timothy chapter one, we'll start in verse two. To Timothy, says my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Verse five, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Do you notice how this starts? Paul says, grace, mercy, and peace, not from Paul, from God. That when we speak to others, when we seek to edify, when we seek to encourage or admonish, what we are stepping into is that calling to be a conduit of God's grace, of a conduit of edification, where it would flow, where the grace, the mercy, the peace, it's being given by God to Timothy. And the, the channel by which that is happening is the Apostle Paul. Not because Paul's perfect, not because he has everything all together, not because he knows everything, but he is leaned into the calling 
that he's to invest in this particular young man. And so one of the things in preparing for this series, and I mentioned it briefly last week, numerous resources and things trying to read through and and, and study, and one that was very, very helpful uh, was by the author Larry Crabb, and he talks about building a spiritual community. And so he's got this wonderful book on that, and in it he gives a framework. And as I was studying that particular framework of like, how does a spiritual community get built? Like, what are some of the components? And studying this particular text, realized, oh, how these things fit together. And so just briefly, let me put this before you, and I, my hope is that we would, we would kind of lock into this and we would see these three things and realize that's what's happening here in the text and that we too would begin to embody this. And so he speaks of three things. He says, there's this call to celebrate, which another way to phrase it is I accept you. Now, it's celebrating the work of the gospel in somebody's life. It's not accepting them in the sense like, oh, well, if you're just off doing whatever you want, you have not submitted your life to Jesus, like, you know, I don't care about, no, it's, it's this moving towards somebody. It's an acceptance, like you're celebrating the work of the gospel in their, their life. Related to that is this call to see, which is this call of I believe in you, not because you're awesome in and of yourself, but I see the redemptive possibilities in your life. I see the way that God has been at work and I can see what he's gonna continue to do. And then there's a call to give, or he even refers to it like there's this touch, meaning like you're, you're so close, you're so closely invested in this person that I will pour into you. And so church, if we could embody these things, if we could celebrate the work of the gospel in people's life, to celebrate the acceptance that they have in Jesus, to see how the Lord wants to move them, though not to let them stay stuck or let you and I stay stuck where we are, but there's this sanctification process that takes place. And then we're not saying, hey, the Lord wants to do this and good luck with that, I'm out. But rather, I'm with you, I'm walking alongside, I'm gonna pour into you, I'm gonna need you to pour into me. And if you're waiting right now for that person to come along and be like, I'm just waiting for a mentor, right? And somebody needs to invest in me. You can pray for that, that is an amazing gift, but it doesn't negate the fact that you're called to pour into other people right here, right now. Like, I don't want you to be like, I'm 90, I'm still waiting for my mentor, and you didn't do anything with your life. So what would it look like for us to do this, to celebrate, to see, to give? And so let's look very quickly at these verses, because I think this is what's happening here. So in verse three, there's this celebration. Do you hear it? Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So Paul's just like, I thank God for you, Timothy. I thank you that you're in my life. I thank you. I thank God for his work. So he's celebrating that. He's celebrating the fact that Timothy belongs to God, and because of that, they can belong to one another. Verses four to five, I think he's embodying this idea to see. He says, I long to see you. And he speaks of this. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And he speaks of his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. And he says, now I am sure dwells in you as well. He sees it. It is so helpful at times when you are discouraged in your faith to have somebody come alongside. And they're not just trying to puff you up or build up like self-esteem. That's not what they're going for but rather they're like, hey, you might be in disbelief right now. You might be doubting the promises of God. You might be doubting who you are in Christ, but I just need you to know, like, 
I see what the Lord has done and what the Lord can do in your life. And there's this moment sometimes where you're just kind of clinging to that, that the Lord has brought somebody alongside you, this brother or sister that's gonna help you see when you feel blind. And that's our calling as the church. So we would celebrate that we would see. And then there's this pouring into that you would give. And so Paul says this, as we look at this in six to seven, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Now we don't know exactly what it is for Timothy. Is his gift, is this like for preaching, proclamation? We don't know specifically what's being referenced here, but there's a gift that he has. And Paul is saying, fan it into flame. Because you know the tendency, right, of a fire. We get to light fires every once in a while in Florida when it just happens to be cold enough, right? And so you, you go and light it. Now, if you just let it go, you don't tend to it, like it will eventually burn out. And so what does it look like to continue to fan into flame? And then he says this, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, that Paul was so close to him that he was there apparently for you know, Timothy's ordination. And he's like laying hands on him. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. For whatever reason, Paul cannot be near Timothy right now. But do you see how he's continuing to pour into him? Do you see how he's continuing to give of himself? That he would take the time to write this letter that he would take, right? Like we sometimes like, oh, I gotta send this email. We realize how easy that is, right? Or how nerfy that is compared to like what he had to do in order to like get this word to Timothy. And yet he does it because he wants to pour into him. He wants to invest in him. He's reminding him like fan into flame. And he knows enough about Timothy to know as we read in other passages about this, this young man, that he was timid at times, that he was overly fearful, that he was anxious. Some have, have perhaps commented even on the fact that, hey, it mentions his mother and his grandmother, but maybe the dad wasn't part of it. And so maybe there wasn't anybody that was calling him to be like saying, this is what it looks like to be a man after God's own heart. And you follow me as I follow the Lord. Like maybe that was absent. We don't know the particulars. But yet, despite circumstances, Paul says, Timothy, I see this faith. And let's commend it. You're part of this gospel lineage, this gospel legacy. And I want to see you continue in it. He's going to call Timothy just at the beginning of chapter 2. Take what you've learned and entrust it to faithful brothers and sisters to see the kingdom advance. And so Paul is spurring him on. He's giving of himself. And so church, very practically, for the last couple minutes here, just let me ask you this. I want to put before us a challenge We'll do it. My hope is it'll help develop some, some practices, some rhythms, particular habits. But just think for the next week. Like, who will you daily encourage this week? I've never met somebody that said, whoa, whoa, bro, can you just stop for a moment? You're encouraging me too much. I am filled up to the brim with encouragement. I don't actually need any more, all right? I've not met that person that every single one of us here could use an encouragement. And not a puffing up, like trying to build self-esteem, but rather a call to say, hey, how can I pray for you? Or I prayed for you today. How can I continue to pray for you? Maybe you see and you notice something in that, that person. You appreciate something that they did. And maybe you know it was behind the scenes and most people didn't notice, but you saw. And the, Holy Spirit's gonna prompt you to be like, I should reach out to that person. And if you're like me, I'll think, yeah, I should do that. 
and then I don't. What would it look like? Just imagine, even just for one week, if we took seriously this call, and it can be as simple as you're gonna set a reminder on your phone, and you're just gonna say, all right, like I'm gonna text one person every day. Now, if you're like, hey, no, I'm, I'm going biblical style, right? I'm going Paul to Timothy, I'm gonna write a letter. Awesome, do that. Send an email, make a phone call, stop by the person, stay socially distanced, if that's, you know, however you need to do that, right? But like, what would it look like to take these sort of steps? Will you daily encourage? Because what I've found to be true, and some of you have no idea the impact that it's had, but like, just, we know this, right? There are waves of discouragement that, that come from time to time, right? And contrary to you know, what they told me in seminary where it was all just gonna be amazing, um, there's, gonna be, there's also times of discouragement in this particular role. And there have been so many times at just the right time that one of you have sent a text to me or my wife Heather or to both of us or a timely email, or you've dropped something off at our, at our front door. And in those moments, it's the church edifying, it's building up. And I tell you what, like, usually it's not in the spot where we're like, oh, this is cool, like just add it to the pile of encouragement that we've been receiving lately. It is usually when I'm just like, woe is me, I'm like putting ash on my head, like it's over, right? And somebody, under the inspiration of the Spirit, just reaches out and sends a simple text, and I'm, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, I, I appreciate you pressing into this thing that was hard. Like, there's so many different ways that that has played out, and I just need you to know, it's a huge encouragement. If we're gonna do the work that we're called to, because it's not just Timothy because he's in a pastor role, the call is for all of us to be disciples who make disciples, and so build one another up. And I love that the Apostle Paul anticipates there'd be objections to that. He's like, eh, I don't know if I have what it takes. That's for other people to do. Romans chapter 15, verse 44. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, it's my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. You don't need multiple degrees behind your name. You can be new to the Bible and still instruct, encourage, edify, that's the calling to press into. As I mentioned a moment ago, that's why when we get down to 2 Timothy chapter two, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men, in the language there's a bit men and women who will be able to teach others also. So you see the forward movement of the gospel Part of the way that happens is when we edify and we encourage. I'll close with this. It is hard though, because there's going to be moments where the enemy will say, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna encourage that person. Nobody's encouraged me lately. Nobody's done this for me. Or there's gonna be times where you doubt, maybe that person, they don't wanna hear from me. Well, will it seem weird? Well, even, you know, Jamie told me this week to text somebody, they're gonna know that this, this is part of this little social experiment that we're doing. I tell you what, though, nobody is gonna receive that and be like, well, you were forced to do that. I can't force you to do that. It will encourage somebody. But there's gonna be times, I think we lack confidence. There's gonna be times where we're just like, I, I don't know, why would this person wanna hear from me? There's gonna be times where we doubt our identity in Christ and it just keeps us stuck and immobilized. And in light of where Paul is calling Timothy, when we look here, I'll just read these verses in eight to 10, and we'll close with this. 
I love that the Apostle Paul, as he's driving towards this call for Timothy to build and to invest and to be part of people's lives, he takes them back. And the way that the letter started, he just keeps coming back to it. Timothy, you need to know the gospel. And Timothy might have looked, he was fearful and timid and looked at, okay, Paul, how's that working out for you? Because you're in prison. And Paul's like, forget about that. I have this joy in the Lord. And so verse eight, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. By the power of God, it's not in your strength, it's not in my strength. It's not just getting all motivated and hyped up about something, but it's in the power of God. Verse nine, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. We need to get that through our head, right? It is not your works. You edifying and building somebody up doesn't make God love you anymore. The words that he spoke to his son, this is my beloved son and him I am well pleased. If you are in Christ, he speaks that over you now. He sings that over you. He's glad you're part of the family and you and I get the great opportunity and privilege to say, this is the best news ever. How can we build other people up? Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You wanna know where our confidence comes to engage, to edify, to encourage, to exhort, to admonish, is when we remember our identity in Christ. When we remember that we deserve death and Jesus has made us alive. When we remember that Jesus died in our place, that the substitution occurred and that the wrath of God was poured out on him so that it wasn't poured out on you or me. And that three days later, Jesus conquered Satan, sin and death. Like what this leads to is this sort of humble swagger where you're not arrogant, but you are confident in who you are in the Lord and you are free now to proclaim the gospel, to tell people who they are in Christ, to remind them of that reality. And so church, I wanna pray for us. I wanna give us a moment to respond. And one of the things that we're gonna do is we're gonna participate in this meal that the Lord has given to us. And so here's the invitation. You don't need to be a member or partner of this church, but you need to be a Christian. It's a meal for those that belong to the church. And so I'm gonna pray. The worship team's gonna come up. We're gonna sing this next song. And while we're singing, when you're ready, just come up and grab the elements from either side of the stage. Those of you that are participating online, you can gather elements in your home. And then after this next song, I will call us back and we'll partake together. Like we get to do this together, being reminded of the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so this response, I would encourage you to take some time right now to repent. Repent of the ways that we've made it maybe all about us and we haven't sought to love and edify and encourage one another. And then let's remember, let's remember and celebrate that God the Father accepts you because of his son Jesus, that he sees you and that he is doing this work of sanctification and that he continues to pour himself out for you. Jesus, if you ever doubt that, look no further than the cross, that he's poured himself out, that he gives to you, that he sent his spirit that continues to be involved in your life. So church, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for this example that we see from 
Paul speaking words of truth to Timothy, that he was that conduit of edification, of encouragement, of your grace. And God, I pray that we as a church, we would be so gripped by this gospel that we would count it our great joy and our privilege to reach out to others, to build up those within the church, to build up those that are outside of the church, that we would reach out, that we would encourage, that we would exhort, and that we would make it a habit, a practice that daily, we would be about the work of seeing your church built up. So Jesus, we need you, we need your help. We thank you that when we stumble and fall and just flat out rebel and don't do what you've called us to do, that you offer us your grace and your forgiveness, that you invite us. It's in your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so spirit right now be at work bringing conviction where it's needed. And then I pray that as your people, we would be able to celebrate the reality of the gospel. And then even now, as we sing songs to you, God, that I pray that it would edify us as the church as well, as we proclaim these truths together, as we participate in this meal together. And so God, I pray in all of this, that you would get your glory, that we as your people would experience a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Jesus' good name, amen.